If you would turn in your Bibles to Acts 16, it's found on page 1100. Acts 16, we're going to start at verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. I know when my wife and I want to watch a movie some evening, she usually gravitates toward the love stories, and I tend to gravitate toward the action one, the action movies. I don't know if it's a guy thing, but it's just something satisfying. You, you, you see a problem, you see the bad guy, and he's doing all kinds of terrible things, and by the end of the movie, justice comes, and especially if we're talking a Western... Usually there's a, a gun battle and the bad guys get it and the good guys, they're victorious and the hero rides away with the woman and rides off into the sunset happily ever after. I think everyone at one point in their life, we've all had someone who's made our, our lives miserable. Many of you have had people in your life who caused you a lot of hurt. And, and pain. And whether you call them your, uh, your enemy or not, that's kind of incidental. But I think what's true is you don't care for them very much. And if it was up to you, you wouldn't mind if the Lord didn't bless them much. Probably the last thing in the world you would think of uh, doing is maybe witnessing to them, praying for their salvation. Recently, we saw pictures of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, and I'm sure, like me, you saw the pictures of those guys carrying guns and beating people up and um, pretty well running, uh, running right over everyone who lives there. They either uh, have to go by uh, their rules or, or you're going to be in trouble and be put in, in prison. 
And when you see those pictures, it's not the first thing that crosses my mind. Boy, they need the Lord. We really need to pray for them. When you see those pictures, it just makes you angry and you want them to get justice. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that, but we also need to love them enough to be willing to even tell them the good news about Jesus, to share Christ's love with them. It's so easy to want to write our enemies off, but the Bible has something else to say about that. Now, if anyone had the right to hate their enemies, I think it would have been Paul and Silas. In our story, Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi. In the same town was a slave girl that could predict the future, and this young lady apparently walked after Paul and Silas for a couple days, proclaiming that these men were from God, the living God, and your patience can only last so long. And when you have somebody constantly shouting that behind you all day long, finally Paul had enough, and he cast the demon out. And the girl was free. Well, when the owners of this slave, when they found this out, they were quite upset because their, their source of money would be gone. And so they brought Paul and Silas to uh, the magistrate in, in the center of town. And, and Paul and Silas, they were, they were beaten. Now normally when somebody gets those kind of wounds, we would think, boy, they need to go to the hospital. They need someone to care for them. But that's not what happened to them. They were thrown in prison. And not just into a nice little comfy cell, but into the deepest part of the prison. And they were even, they had their, their legs put in, in stocks. And, and you got to remember, this was a, a Roman town. And Romans, they had a way of being a little more cruel than other people. And so rather than just their legs being forward, um, historians tell us that um, the, the Roman stocks made the legs be spread out. And you can just imagine how uncomfortable that would be after a while. It's one thing to be that in that position for an hour, but to be in that position for days and days, that had to have been hard. I think our prisons today would seem like the Holiday Inn in comparison to what they experienced in that jail. Prisons were a terrible place, lice and rats, and they were drawn to their bodies of the prisoners because of all the blood. And so the prisoners, they, they didn't even want to lay down on the floor because they didn't want the rats nibbling on them at night as they slept. And so a lot of times they would try to sleep sitting up. It was dark. The only light would have been in the windows or lanterns that the guards carried. You can just imagine what the condition of that jail must have seemed like to them. Now, Paul and Silas had every right to complain and be bitter. They were innocent. They were innocent of what they were being really charged for. This girl needed to be set free. She had an evil evil, uh, spirit in her. And rather than being grateful, they were punished for it. Now, if that had been you that night, what would you have been doing? I think we would have all been praying, but I think we would have also been maybe 
complaining a little bit to God? We'd have probably told God, you know, Lord, this isn't fair. Why are you doing this to me? Why, why have you allowed this to happen? But how did Paul and Silas respond to their predicament? Verse 25, And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners, probably including their jailer, were all listening to them. It's amazing when you think about that. Of all the things they could have been doing, that they were praying and worshiping the Lord. When you think of all that Paul and Silas had just gone through, being beaten and and humiliated, flogged, placed in stocks, I don't know, that's not the thing that I would think you'd find somebody doing. And I think those who heard the story, they were just as surprised as maybe we are. But can you imagine Paul and Silas singing Amazing Grace or maybe some other Jewish song in the prison that that night? How that must have echoed off those stones and we're told that everyone was listening. And because jailers' quarters were usually attached to the prison back then, I'm sure the jailer had been listening too. And this was preparing his heart to hear the good news of the gospel. You know, I still remember seeing footage about the Amish children who were murdered by that gunman outside their school. And what amazed me afterwards was the the families who lost children, they were all there. And not only did they forgive the gunman, not only did they show concern for his wife, his widow, but then they also stood there and prayed and worshipped the Lord. Worshipped the Lord outside the very place where some of their children were, were murdered. It seems impossible. I'm sure everyone who saw it, they were struck by it. I don't think we're always aware of how powerful our worship is, especially in the midst of suffering. When you know someone is struggling, someone has had a difficult time, and yet you can see them come before the Lord and worship Him. It's encouraging. It uplifts those around. And it gives a whole new perspective on what worship is all about. We have to keep in mind, though, that Paul and Silas were there that day by divine appointment. And now they find out why. Maybe they wondered why God was putting them through this. I'm sure they probably thought maybe the suffering they had to go through was senseless. But then they saw God at work. They saw God moving in in an amazing, an amazing way. And so God was glorified that night through Paul and Silas, through their faithfulness, but also through their suffering. And He would be glorified through these inmates and the jailer who would come to know the Lord. And the catalyst that brings all that about is what happens next. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were loosed. 
The chains and, and stocks, they just fell off. The doors of the prison, they just came off their hinges. And you better believe God had that jailer's attention. You wonder if God sent that earthquake just to wake the jailer up at this point. But keep in mind, this jailer had a divine appointment that he needed to keep. And God clearly had his attention. You know, sometimes I think God does this to all of us. He, he, he gets our attention. He wants us to see how fragile we really are. It's so easy to be full of ourselves, to think that we've got everything under control. But when trials come, when sudden, when unexpected things come our way, it, it, it shows us of just how fragile our lives really are. When we feel the loneliness and the hunger within, when we feel that emptiness and we realize that in ourselves there's no way we can handle this, that's when it's good to know that the Lord is there. That we don't have to face those things alone. That He is our help and strength. so easy to think that we have everything in control, you know, that we've got enough money, retirement is set before us, and everything should be good, and all of a sudden, unexpected things happen. COVID, some other unexpected illness. Problem in the family, problem with one of the kids, problem in your marriage, and suddenly, you're standing there thinking, Lord, how we need you. How I need you in my life. Well, the first thing the jailer does is grab his sword and head down to check on the, the prisoners. And when he goes down there, he calls for lights and he sees that the doors are off and the shackles are no longer on the, the, the prisoners. And so he takes the sword and he's ready to end his life. Because he knows what's going to happen to him once it's found out. Rome didn't have a lot of grace when it came to something like this. To have that many men suddenly be able to escape a prison. This jailer would have found himself in, in prison or losing his head. So in despair, he's ready to end his life. Takes out the sword, and I think it's at this point our jailer is finally ready to look up. He's at the end of his rope. You ever seen God do that in someone's life? I've seen it so often. Somebody doesn't want anything to do with the gospel. And God brings them to the end of themselves so that they're standing at the bottom of the well and they can only look up. There's only one way. I see that at funerals all the time. There's always some who, who just aren't sure of their salvation. And death makes them afraid. And so to be able to hear the good news of the gospel... At a time like that, it means all the world. In our Philippian jailer's case, though, God was about to reveal to him his power to save. That's what's so fitting about this story, really. As Paul and Silas are praying and singing, that's when all this happens. In response to their prayers, in response to their singing. 
And so Paul calls out to the jail guard and tells him not to to harm himself. Assures him that all the prisoners are there, that none had escaped. This must have marveled the jailer. I probably thought they all ran right out the door. That's not what happened. And that all this happened right as Paul and Silas were singing and praying. I'm sure the jailer knew that that wasn't by chance. I think what's amazing too in our story is that, that, that Paul was even concerned about the jailer's spiritual well-being. His life, period. Think of what this jailer represented to him. How he had inf- inflicted a lot of pain on him. He was probably the one that was asked to come and, and flog Paul and Silas. He was the one who put him in those stocks. But yet Paul and Silas, they chose to love the jailer. Because they were starting to understand now that, again, this was a divine appointment that they had. I heard a story about a woman who took her children out to a restaurant. Her six-year-old, he asked his mom if he could pray. And she said, sure. And so this is what he said, God is good, God is great, thank you for the food, and I would even thank you more if mom gets us ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all, amen. Because the little boy was a little loud, a lot of people sitting around them, they all started to chuckle and and laugh, except for one woman who remarked, that's what's wrong with this country. Kids today, they don't even know how to pray. Asking God for ice cream, why I never. The boy heard this and he, he burst out into tears and he asked his mom, did I do wrong, mama? Is God mad at me now? And as she held him and assured him that he had done a, a great job, an elderly gentleman approached the table. He winked at the boy and he says, I happen to know that God thought your prayer was wonderful, that it was great. The boy brightened up. Really? Cross my heart, the man replied. Then in a theatrical whisper that was kind of loud, he pointed at the, the woman with his, his thumb and he He said, too bad she never asked God for ice cream. A little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. Well, naturally, mom bought the kids ice cream. And when the little boy was holding his ice cream, he looked down at it and finally he stood up and he walked over to that woman and he set it down in front of her. And he says, here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. And he goes, and my soul soul is already good. The jailer knew that he had just eaten some ice cream, so to speak. Despite the earthquake, despite the prison doors opening, with all the inmates still there, none of them had rushed away. He knew he was glimpsing something. And he wanted what Paul and Silas had. And so after he called for lights, he goes to Paul and Silas and he gets down on his knees before them and he asks he asked them, what must I do to be saved? And just as God opened those prison doors for Paul and Silas, God opened the heart of that jailer that night and took away his sins. 
To the question, what must I do to be saved? Paul replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And that's what happened. Immediately we see the fruit of the jailer, jailer's new faith and the way he treats and cares for Paul and Silas and even inviting them into his house, giving them a meal. What about you? Is there someone in your life that you dislike because of the things they've done to you in the past? Because of the hurt that they've caused you? You have a choice to make, just like Paul did. You could hate them, which is going to steal your joy. Or you can love them. You can tell them the good news about Jesus. You know, it's so easy to hate those that that harm us. But again, that's what the Bible calls us not to do, to hate. Instead, He calls us to love. To love our enemies, to love those who hurt us. To offer to them the very gift that we've received in Christ Jesus. To show them the love of Christ. What enables Paul and Silas to worship and pray in their jail cell that night? They were secure in in God's love, in Christ's love, and the joy, the joy of the Lord just seemed to bubble up in their lives for all to see. And what a witness that is, especially when going through something like that. Even the forgiveness, what a witness that is to others that there's something different about God's people. They wonder what makes that possible. What an opportunity at at that point to tell them about Jesus' love so that same joy might belong to them. Paul would later say at the end of his life, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Can we do any less? This is your desire to know the peace and, and the joy of Christ. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. That's how it begins. Like the jailer, you've got to know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And once you know that love, then that same joy that we see spilling out of Paul and Silas, it's going to spill out of our lives. And it's the kind of love and the joy that's contagious that others want a part of. Mother Teresa once called joy the net of love by which you can catch souls. Paul and Silas' joy was so contagious that the jailer and many of the inmates came to know the Lord that night. God used them to bring them into the family of God. And so I ask you, what divine appointment Is Christ asking you to be part of? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to share the love of Christ with those that God has placed in your life? May we be faithful as Paul and Silas were. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you 
Lord, for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you for the example of Paul and Silas, who at the, in the midst of being put in, in prison, Lord, they kept their focus on you and they allowed you to use them even there. Lord, to, to sing and, and, and worship you at times of, of pain and when we're going through trials, it's, it's not always easy. Lord, help us to learn what Paul and Silas did, that we are secure in your love and that we can know your joy as our strength even when going through the midst of the valley, even when times are hard. Father, use us. May we be a witness and a light for you wherever you've placed us. Open our eyes, Lord, to the divine appointments that you want each of us to keep to be an encouragement to others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Rock.